Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And, and I am on my wrong mic. Oh, would well, you look at this? I'm just going to throw you all the way off, bud. Get ready. <laughs> all right. Well, well, Buddy fixes his mic. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the post credit scene of Black Adam. But before we do that, Buddy, you want to tell the folks at home what it is you do on this podcast? <laughs> I do want to talk about the post credit scene of Black Adam. I, w- I would talk for 60 fucking minutes about the post credit scene to Black Adam. Uh, but, but, uh, t- uh, what do we do on this podcast? We- on this podcast, we talk about games. <laughs> this is like the worst entry of all time that we've ever made. After 300 and almost 50 episodes. Seven years. We're, we're actually, I missed it last week. Two weeks past the seven-year anniversary. <laughs> two weeks past our seven-year anniversary and still flubbing the intro. Fuck yeah. Anyway. Uh, so today we're talking about Black Adam. Black Adam, uh, is a film that has been in the works at DC for the past 15 years. That's what, that's what The Rock keeps saying. He signed on to this movie in 2006 or 2007 or something like that, which was way before he was ever like a huge, huge movie star. We went over on the, uh, we went over this in the cast the other day. Um, so it is truly right. Like a, a, a real homecoming for this guy. Um, you know, this, this project that he signed on to one of the first big kind of superhero movies that he ever signed on to. Um, and I'm fucking, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about it because I had a great time, Mango. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, you know, let's do our, our, our standard kind of, uh, uh, you know, before spoilers thoughts on the movies. Um, you want me to go first? You want to go first? You've got a Coke in your mouth, so I'll go first. Um, okay. I thought it was uh, I thought it was all right. Um, I didn't think it was particularly exceptional, but I, it wasn't – it was better than, say, Black Widow, which is like my gold standard for mediocre superhero film. Yeah. Um, uh, we had some in, – in some of our, our pre, pre-cast chatter, we had talked about uh, if it was the best superhero movie this year. Um, I still like DC League of Super Pets better. Um I think I could like flip a coin as to whether or not it was better than Batman or not. Um, and part of that is like, I think this movie was a little bit dull, but safe where I think Batman took a few more risks. Um, I know you typically like those movies better, but I also thought it had like some bigger flaws. So I think it's a toss up between the two in, in terms of that. That's interesting. I would have gone the opposite way. I actually think that the Batman is a more solid overall, overall motion picture and that Black Adam is much more choppy, but like Black Adam does some really cool shit that, I, 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 like, I like it, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah guess, I mean, go on, sorry. DC League of Super Pets is a good comparison. That is definitely the best of superhero that's come out this year, hasn't it? I liked it better than Batman. I think Batman is probably my number two, but Black Adam is number three. I, I've liked it better than all of the Marvel stuff, right? I liked it better than Thor, Love and Thunder. Um, and then, what's the other Marvel thing that happened this year? I mean, Wakanda Forever is coming out, so that's possible. Oh, Wakanda Forever. Do we only have one Marvel movie in 2022 so far? Um, I guess I'm just kind of comparing oh, it to the- Multiverse the, of Madness, which we hated. Multiverse of Madness is the other one I was thinking. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, and just kind of comparing it to the suite of Marvel Phase 4 stuff. Black Adam, I walked out of the theater, no pun intended, electrified and sort of- livened by the by that performance right like the feeling of watching this movie was great and i was like fuck yes i could watch 20 different sequels to this movie and they would all be like exactly my shit right uh but i do think that it's it's pretty choppy it has like it has a lot of um so so this is this is funny just just to take it from you there i feel like this movie needed like 
20 different prequels in order for it to like really yeah, yeah. resonate emotionally, <laughs> right? Like yeah. this, yes. this felt like an alternate universe Avengers where like, and I'm like missing all like of like the first, like, you know, 10 movies that lead up into it. Um, <laughs> which is like, I mean, I guess we have one technically with Shazam, but like, he's not even actually in the movie. Right. Yeah. Like, um, but you know, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, like bloated is, is probably the best way is probably the best way to put it. Right. Uh, also, um, I'm kind of mad. They ruined one of the big twists in the trailers. Like, so, uh, you know, the trailer The trailer says, you know, they killed my son. And that's oh, like a, that's a big reveal yes. in the movie. That's a big, like, third act reveal in the movie. That, like. Yes, that's true. And, like, I'm sitting there the whole time. It's like, they're treating it like, like, I was like, oh, I can see how this was supposed to be a twist. It's just, and they fucking ruined it. It's like, it's. Yeah. It, I, I have forever gone to war with, like, the DC, like, marketing team. And I guess I can professionally do this now, that I, that I like, work in marketing. I think the DC marketing team is fucking dog shit, and they have been fucking up their own movies for years, right? Um, you know, like, because the one I always think back to is the Batman vs. Superman trailer, where, where they revealed Wonder Woman, right? You can imagine a world in which where that was an actual reveal, that was an actual twist, right? That, oh, it's not just that Diana Prince shows up in the movie, right? But that she actually fights the big bad in the end. But it was revealed in the second fucking trailer. And it's just like, oh, God. And it, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I like the Black Adam trailer, and I, I would say that it was good. But having seen the movie, that was the wrong choice. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like you, you, you had to do that to make the trailer make sense, right? The trailer made sense regardless. Yep. Um, like, that whole kind of, like, big moment is, like, a very late-breaking thing. Um, but anyway, I think we're going to – we're, we're dangerously veering on spoiler territory, so maybe we should put the spoiler warning here and say um, – I, I, what was his – like, a soft recommend for both of us? Maybe a little bit harder than that, but, like, like – uh, Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's soft. It's better than that. It's better than – I feel like soft recommend is most of these phase four movies, and it is a category up from them. I would agree with the that. The bottom of that category, probably, but like still a category up from them. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'd say run out to theaters to see this, but like, if you were like, you know, I could go see Black Adam, or I could, you know, I don't know, like whack off in my shoes, go see Black Adam, right? Like, that's, I think. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hang up one second. That's the choice you're presenting me with. <laughs> Gun to your head. You have two options. You know. <laughs> what on earth? Anyway, uh, whatever. You, you, That's fine. What I, what I, I mean do, is, I do see, yeah, what you, see what you like, mean, and I would agree with you. Like even it, it you is racist. So it is better than nothing, right? Whereas I think these phase four yeah. movies are kind of like. About equivalent with nothing, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, and weirdly, I would actually say that this is a very good watch in the theater. Um, I had a fantastic... Uh, probably my recommendation comes from... I saw this in, like, a really packed theater. And, like, people were, like, hooting and hollering. And there was, like, laughing. And I do think that that, that enhances the experience of watching sure. a movie a lot of the time, right? Um, you know, there was nothing quite so cheesy as any of these... Um, you know, like I think in Avenger, uh, Avengers Endgame with like the the big moment where it's like a, you know, 
the 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 Avengers theme song swells or whatever, and everybody screams in the theater, and somebody takes a cell phone thing of it and says, "This is what movies are about," and tweets that to a hundred thousand likes or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I think that shit is hacky and lame. There's nothing like that, but it was just like there. It was uh, I don't know. Everybody was really animated. Like everybody in my theater was really animated. They were laughing. They were they were. There was a lot of like. <gasps> Oh, like, whoo, you know, like, to, to, to stuff that was going on on screen. I think that really enhanced it. Uh, that really enhanced it quite a bit. Plus, it just quite, I actually quite liked the filmmaking. Um, part of the, you know, part of the phase four stuff is people getting on Marvel's case for post-production issues. And uh, weirdly, Black Adam had pretty good, you know, like, I like it looked really good on, on the big screen, which I, which I appreciated. Um you know, it did not look like a green screen fest, I guess is what I would say. Outside of some parts. There's some parts that are just like, all right, well, whatever, this is CGI bullshit. But, like, you know, um, the the environments felt much more tactile than a lot of the environments did, uh, like in Thor, right, uh, or Multiverse of Madness. Yep. No, I, I, I think I'd agree with that. But with that, I'm going to say this is your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen yeah. it and you want to watch it spoiler-free, stop watching now. Uh, come back to us. After you're done um, in one of our many recorded locations. Um, uh, so with that out of the way, um, what do you what do you want to uh, start with? Um, oh, boy. What would I like to start with? I would like to. God, that's a tough question. I think the thing I, wa I want to start with is actually the the bloated nature of it. There's yeah. a bunch of different movies in here, right? Um, there's kind of this re rebel freedom fighter movie that's kind of black adam helping out this like kid and his mom and these civilians right which i i quite like that move that part of the movie this also ties into the comics in an interesting way that i can maybe explain later um i was actually very surprised that they did not go harder on this set of things because like if there's anything in here that is like core black adam lore it's actually them Right. Which I think most people would not expect. Right. Like, oh, wait, like a, a, a doofy kid from Kondok is it, and like his freedom fighter mom are like from the comics. But like, yes, they're actually like incredibly important Black Adam characters. Um, then there is uh, then there's, there's the Justice the, Society movie. I was going to say there's the culmination of a long running Justice Society arc that didn't happen. Right, like where we're supposed to care a lot, where where basically Doctor Fate pulls a Tony Stark in you know Endgame with, or uh, yeah, in he pulls a Tony Stark in Endgame with like you know ninety minutes of runtime before. I, instead I, of I think that's a little uncharitable. I actually like that. I, I yeah, I, I would I would say that's kind of uncharitable. I like that aspect quite a lot. I felt like I was sold on the relationship between Carter Hall and Doctor Fate. I, see, I, I I just kind of wasn't because like it's basically told to us, right? Like like I said, right? Like like you know, um, Hawk or Hawkman like says you know that Kent's an old friend, and they have like two conversations on screen, and then we're supposed to feel like gut wrenched that like you know Doctor Fate sacrifices himself for Carter Hall. I don't even like you know I I. As, you know, as a person, know a little bit about Doctor Fate, but if I don't know who Doctor Fate is, I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? He's lived for a hundred years. What the fuck, right? Like, and not that I need it spelled out to me, but it's not like Doctor Fate's like a premier DC hero, right? It's not like this is, you know, yeah. Superman or Batman where you can expect the audience to have some amount of knowledge of of, of who he is coming in. 
Um, I think just I I think it all needed a little bit more, especially Hawkman, right? Like I kind of like. I mean, I, Doctor Fate I think is the worst. Um, I think Cyclone and Adam Smasher were fine, right? They were appropriately second tier care, like you know, second billing in importance as they were, you know, in the movie. Um, and I thought it was great introductions for them, but I wanted like a, a, at least one movie before this with 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 uh, with Carter and and Kent to like establish that a little bit more. I guess I do get that. The, I liked it because I liked that it just took it. It just it sort of. Um, it, it didn't feel the need to dump backstory. I, the, the sure. thing I liked about it was actually how, um, cause I, the, the and the, and the thought that was in my mind was like, oh my God, I feel like if I was in, maybe, maybe it'd be mean to call this like a Marvel movie thing. I don't know that Marvel movies do this sort of thing all the time, but like, maybe like a, like a Fox X-Men movie from five or 10 years ago, right? They would do this thing where they would have to sit down and you'd have to watch a flashback sequence of these two and one saves the other's life in the flashback. And he goes, then that's why I'll always trust Carter Hall or whatever. And it's just like, you know what? I appreciate that they just, these guys are superheroes who are established in the universe and they just walked into the situation already being friends, already having this rapport. And that's sort of minute one of their relationship, right? That, that kind of felt brave in a way to me um, compared to a lot of superhero media that has to always build that stuff up from sort of like ground zero. It's like, it's sort of the same thing that I liked about the Batman, how in the Batman, there were villains in Gotham, right, who are part of the periphery, who are part of the background. The Joker is already in Arkham Asylum, right? Um, or, you know, whoever else, right? Like, these are people who are already in Arkham, Arkham Asylum. Um, and now, you know, like, I, he's interacting with someone new in that established environment. It's the same sort of thing. I like the idea that Black Adam shows up. That's the big thing. That's what, what the movie is about. The Justice League has existed for however long and is just here. And they're going on another mission. And we don't need to sit down and, like, super, super explain what what their what their whole deal is about but i kind of feel like maybe we're both making points that are context points rather than kind of text points if that makes sense right like i feel like the reason i like that is because of i'm sort of sick of this like oh man my camera is freaking the fuck out i'm sorry buddy i don't know what's going on mr camera just focus on me <laughs> um I, f I feel like i i will I, I liked it because it didn't do this thing that I find annoying in a lot of other superhero media, whereas you found it annoying because it didn't do this thing that other superhero media does, right? Which has set itself up for later. So, I, so I, I see what you're saying. I think I would have been more fine with it if they didn't ask me to care about uh, Kent's sacrifice at the end of the movie, right? Like... If it was just the two of them are in the movie as supporting characters, I think that would have been fine, a la, like, Black Widow's first appearance, right? Like, she just kind of shows up in Avengers and is a character, and we learn about her over the course of the other movies, and she doesn't get her, she doesn't get her own movie until she dies. Um, uh, which, you know, and I don't think that movie needed to, like, you know, I don't, I think she, I think her character was well-served throughout the rest of those movies. Um, and it feels it felt impactful when she sacrificed herself because even though she didn't have her own movie, we had enough context for that, right? Um, and she doesn't sacrifice herself in the first movie she's in because we don't have you know like we don't have enough familiarity with her, right? And I feel like I feel like if I had, I, th I feel like you can't have it both ways. You can either have 
Kent and Carter be the secondary characters, which is totally fine, but then you can't ask them to like put like, you know, put that level of stakes into into their actions at the end of the movie. Or you can build them up properly and then they can, you know, Kent can sacrifice himself in this movie. Um, part of it, frankly, is I'd love to see like a Carter and Kent buddy cop movie. I think that'd be great. But uh, Me too! I also agree with that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's movie number two. We sort of have this Justice Society movie. Movie number three is like this, this mythic ancient backstory to Kondok with like the champion and like the his his like kid or whatever and like i know black adam's backstory and even i was sitting here i was just like this is complicated as fuck i feel like if i were writing this movie i would slash just so much of this you know like whatever context and just like slide it into i like it, it was kind of crazy to me how much screen time was dedicated to sort of like this aspect um this aspect of Black Adam. And then sort of movie number four, it was like everything with the villain who was doing his whole thing and chasing this like fucking MacGuffin that he just kind of ended up with. And I actually kind of liked that interaction, which I thought was kind of interesting. But like the movie is sort of already falling apart by that point. Like just bursting at the seams with so much stuff going on that it's like basically impossible to follow what, what the actual plot, you know, like plot thread of this guy moving from place to place is um so anyway it's sort of like black adam is sort of like four movies scrunched together um and it has this weird thing of i think actually almost all of those movies kind of work to be honest right like they on their own sort of terms um I thought this stuff with I, I i would i would i would have plenty to compliment about any of them individually it's just that you know it's the, like fat guy in a little coat. The movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. I, f I feel like I feel like I buy that. Um, interestingly, the, the thing that popped into my head is it feels like one of those like, like you know, I read Annihilation War in the run up to um, Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's like actually like several different comic book lines that like cross over at points, and it felt like that's what this movie was trying to do, but it felt like it was bursting at the seams, right? Like you know, yeah. you could see like how like you know the Justice Society and the Condock thing kind of like would be their own comics and would have a crossover episode, and you know it might continue on in their own directions past the, you know past this movie. It's just like they tried to fit like. If it, this had just been the crossover episode, it might have worked a little bit better for me. But it felt like it tried to 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 put like all like like you said four of the kind of like separate running serials in the same movie and their crossover episode. Um, yep, yep. I think all of that makes a lot of sense, and I agree with and I agree with all of it, especially like the, the idea that this is what a comic feels like, right? It does feel like that. And I actually think that not only does it feel like that, it's good that it feels like that. Because part of what made, I think, Black Adam work so well for me is that that sort of ambient world building. For instance, so they mention Intergang mining Eternium, right? You know, that, I was like, is this going to be part of the movie, right? Like, Intergang taking over Kondok and using it as sort of a... Uh, uh, and using it as this staging point in order to sort of build and manufacture really powerful weapons, right? Um, that's something from the comics, right? Like that's and I, and there are villains associated with that. There are like named characters associated with that. And when they introduced it, I was sitting here. I was like, okay, I know the Justice Society is involved in this. Now we have Intergang. We have 
um, Amon and Adriana. Um, you know, we have we have this stuff with the crown of Sabak. You know, and obviously, yeah, I, I knew who Sabak was uh, because Sabak is kind of a, a famous Shazam villain. Not really a Black Adam villain, but I, you, it makes sense in this sort of context. And I was just sitting there, and I was just like, "Where? What? Are, what is going to get mined here? Like, where are we going to go?" Right? Um, and the answer was most places, except for Intergang. Intergang is kind of just sort of background detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that ma that makes sense. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, I I don't know. I I I think I, I I mostly agree with that. Was is the idea that like the main villain is like secretly in charge of Intergang? Why did they need to like fake this all? Why? I don't know. It, it felt like the the plot kind of like the plot had a lot of fridge moments. The plot had a lot of like, you know, what what's it's not the opposite, but like a, like you know, like obviously there is a meta plot. There is a plot reason why the main villain. What's the main villain's name? Um, not the, uh, his human form. Ishmael. Ishmael. There's a reason why Ishmael drops the shield, and that's because it's part of his plot to get Shazam or not Shazam get Black Adam to kill him. So he can come back as Sabak, right? That all makes sense within itself, but like that only that only made sense because I could see the beat that he was going for, right? Like that's supposed to kind of be a twist, but that moment doesn't make sense unless you already see the twist, right? Like there's no, <coughs> excuse me, there's literally no reason for him to drop the shield in that moment. He could just shoot the kid behind the shield, and Black Adam wouldn't be able to do anything about it, right? And this is also one of those things where, like, you know, you can only get so hard on a per on a on a character's case for like not being smart. But like that is so obvious that I felt that any one of them should have been like, why the fuck did he drop the shield? He must have been up to something. And they do eventually figure that out. But I feel like they could have just smoothed over that wrinkle by being like, that didn't make any sense. He must have been up to something, and then just have the rest of the movie like go on as it did. Like, I don't know. Also, yeah, I like I liked the detail of y you need to kill the guy to send him to hell to activate the crown of Sabak, right? You know, like the thing that actually turns him into a real threat and dangerous is the thing where you, where Black, Ad like he goes Black Adam into murdering him, right? And part of, and I, I just, in no uncertain terms, part of the reason why I like this movie a lot is because it's fucking sweet to watch Black Adam murder guys. Holy fuck. The yeah. first time Black Adam comes out of like his tomb or whatever, grips the dude by the neck and then like sizzles him from the inside until his flesh like fries off and then it's just like a skeleton that's like black and char and then it drops to dust. I was just like, "Holy fuck. We are in for it, right?" <laughs> like, you know, talk about a movie where like the kids gloves have kind of come off, right? Um, and you can see where thematically that sort of makes sense as a means to punish Black Adam, right? Wherein killing, you know, killing Ishmael to activate Sabak actually was the worst thing that he could do in that instance. And like, maybe there's some theme around him not actually like murdering people so hard that was supposed to happen, you know, in all of this or whatever. I don't know. But all of the themes did not really seem to coalesce no. anywhere because the very end of the movie, they congratulate him for being a murderer. I mean, like, you know, there's part of this that's like, I mean, you know, 
there's that aspect of it. But also part of it is like, you know, I was like thinking to myself, like normally there's a moment where like the hero does like something bad and that's why he needs to like reform himself for the third act or whatever, right? And it's like, you know, basically they drown him for 15 minutes of on-screen time and like, you know, not much more longer than that of like in movie, like in universe time, right? Where they put him underwater and then like he breaks out again. Again, a thing that I think could have used a little bit more time, like him being imprisoned. Um, yeah, that was that. I think might be the moment that I thought that the whole movie just like truly fell apart. Um, so, and it was kind of I just, it I was just kind of. I just oh, want to finish a thought real quick, which is I didn't realize this until well after the movie. But the reason he decides to step down is because um, the kid gets hurt because. He, like, doesn't control his lightning powers, and that's what actually, like, causes him to have a heart murmur. But they fly by that so fast in the movie that I didn't realize it until, like, you know, 30 minutes after the movie, I'm, like, sitting there thinking about it. I'm like, oh, that's why that happened. I, I think It is also much more brutal in the – so part of me is I think this is cut content. In the comics, he is paralyzed. He is in a wheelchair. And so, like, Black Adam is re- sort of responsible. Not not quite responsible. I actually think he starts being in a wheelchair. Like, Amant is a kid in a wheelchair. Um, <clears throat> but the thing that happens is Black Adam, you know how in Shazam, Shazam can give his powers to the other members of the, like, yeah. the Shazam family? Or like, or like how, how Shaz- the, you know, the kid gives his power to The Rock, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. They, set it, they set that up in this film. Right. Where like and they have him like repeat this oath or whatever. And I was like, oh, he's going to do that for Amon here. Right. Uh, but but they don't. That's what happens. You know, Amon becomes I think his name is Osiris uh, in the in the comics. That's like his, you know, and he kind of becomes Black Adam's junior, you know, Black Adam's sidekick or whatever. Um, but, you know, that did not that did not uh, appear. And maybe that's like a good sequel. I do think that that's a good sequel because I think Amon and Adriana are great, great characters for Black Adam. And if I'm writing the Black Adam movie, I would want to save that stuff for the sequel. Like, I don't even know that I want to spoil it here what happens because it's so fucking cool and good. Um, if, if I've ever talked on the podcast about why the comic 52 is so good, it is this is that storyline, right? Um, where Black Adam, you know, takes over Kondok. He becomes the dictator of Kondok. And he, um, actually that happens before 52, but 52 just picks up when he is dictator. Um, and it's when he meets Adriana and he meets... Um, uh, Amon and he kicks and he goes to war with Intergang and he starts fighting to get rid of Intergang from Kondok itself. Interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I'm just imagining like the, I don't know, I don't, I don't expect it'll be in this Shazam movie, but the next movie where like, you know, um, you know, Osiris or whatever meets up with, you know, Billy Batson Shazam and he's like, hi, I'm your friendly neighborhood superhero, which is like kind of Shazam's ambit. And Osiris is like, I am from a war-torn country, and I use my powers to murder my oppressors. Um, and have that be kind of like a, you know, like a, you know, fish out of water, like, meeting. Because this feels like maybe it was supposed to, like, maybe this is like a Shazam for adults, if that makes sense. Um I'm surprised, like, you know, obviously there is the direct connection in that the same wizard that gave... Um, Black Adam, his powers, the one that gives Shazam his powers. Um, I'm surprised there wasn't, like, a more like a, a more reference connection there, right? Like, I assume there's going to be something in the next Shazam movie. I think it's a little, like, it's one of those things that, like, you know, it feels weird to have it be there and not, like, ref, like, like you know, mention it, right? Like, you, like, it, mm-hmm. um, it, it feels yeah, there's weird also, in submission. 
there's also lore around this that is more uh, complicated. So in the comics, Black Adam, for instance, if you know Shazam, you know that Shazam's powers come from the Greek gods, right? He has the power of Zeus. Zeus, that's Z in, in Shazam, right? He has the strength of Hercules. That's the H in Shazam, right? The speed of Mercury, the wisdom of uh, Solomon. I, I hate that it mixes this metaphor since Solomon is obviously uh, a Judeo-Christian figure, but yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's just like that. Like the all of those stand for something. Black Adam has a similar set, and they name them in this movie, but they are Egyptian gods, right? Um you know, so it's like uh, Anubis, or I actually don't think Anubis is one of them. Hold on, let me see. Let me, let's see what the Black Adam. Um, I want to know what the what the gods are. Yeah, it's Shu, Heru, Amon, Zahudi, right? Like these are Egyptian gods, and in the comics, the Egyptian gods empower Black Adam, and like that Black Adam is empowered because they are more, like, ruthless and brutal gods than, the like, the Greek gods, right? Like, the Greek gods like uh, Shazam, Captain Marvel, um, because he is a... Um, uh, you know he's like he's like a good upstanding guy. He is using their their powers like nobly. Well, according to the Egyptian gods, Black Adam running around murdering people in this sort of lawful evil state that he is right. Like the, he is doing good work, right? Um, and there is a lot of there's like a lot of lore about how when other people pick up Black Adam's powers, it also sort of corrupts them, right? Because the Egyptian gods are sort of influencing them uh, to to kind of commit, you know murder and like go to this place of extreme force sort of at all times which i think is neat and interesting yeah and I, I think so from what i gather from the trailer for the second shazam movie it seems like the wizards stole the power from the gods that uh um and so i guess they did it twice i guess i guess these wizards their job is just stealing powers from gods and giving them to little kids um uh yep who knows also, this uh, is there's some other neat, there's some other neat lore in there that I think is cool, like the Rock of Eternity versus the Rock of Finality. Uh, you know, like having Sabak having to go to hell, the Rock of Finality, in order to get empowered by the the six demons, right? Which is Sabak is like, you know, I think it's like Satan, Esmodius, Beelzebub, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, and then he and then he comes back and he's using his like crazy hellfire powers and shit. Uh, like all of that is. The, it, it is sort of this other dark mirror to it, right? So you kind of have these three different sort of like pantheons going at it from sort of uh, it's it's actually a pretty good representation of lawful evil, lawful good, and chaotic evil if you think about it. Yeah, no, that makes that that makes some amount of sense. Although I don't know, I don't know if I'd say that like, I mean, you you know the comics, but I was like Black Adam is definitely portrayed as being a good person, right? Like, That's true. In the comics, Black Adam is the dictator of Kondok, and he sort of fills this Doctor Doom role, right? Okay. Um, you know, in Marvel Comics, Doctor Doom is the dictator of Latveria, but he is obviously an incredibly smart genius, and he actually makes, he single-handedly makes Latveria a first world country just by virtue of his like technological innovations but he is a dictator right and he's like a brutal authoritarian who doesn't suffer like dissent or whatever and there is a little bit of this paradox of like um 
there's a little bit of this paradox of like, obviously we would all probably agree that democracy is good and like democratic values are, are good or whatever. Like they don't call it the justice society or justice league of America for nothing. Right. Um, but how can you sort of argue with the results of Dr. Doom's, you know, Latveria being this prosperous nation. And similarly, when black Adam takes over Kondok, he is sort of, like not quite elected, but appointed by the will of the people, right? Because he shows back up to conduct this, this, you know, this country that he is a mythic former ruler of, and he takes control of it. He actually has sort of the will of the people behind him. And so there is a lot in the comics of this, like, um, of this apprehension towards, well, it's sort of fucked up that Black Adam has reverted conduct from being a democracy back to a sort of a kingdom, right? Turning it into a sort of like a dictatorship again. Um, but also people want it because he's sort of like their King Arthur coming, like returning from whatever. Does that make sense? It, it, it does. And they obviously they address this in, in the movie and they just turn down the dictator part. I think because they were already pretty leaning pretty heavily on like the, you know, Americans <laughs> interfering in the Middle East kind of parable and like if you if you do that if you like you know again we're not we're not typically a political podcast but if you if you follow that to the end where um where black adam takes back over and takes the throne that's like really uncomfortably close to a lot of kind of like to not a lot but several of the islamic states in the real world middle east i'm pretty sure they just wanted to avoid that as, as hard as they yeah could. and like to be clear this is this predates all of that stuff right, right. Like these are comics from like 2005 right before isis or whatever uh, any of that i mean stuff was... you know america's meddling in the middle east has gone on for quite a long time no really. sure but it's, yeah. Not, it's yeah but so in the specific you know yeah, vein yeah, of isis asserting that it is like a a, uh, a legitimate Muslim caliphate, right? Like yeah, yeah. That, that's not a real thing that they had to contend with at the time. I also just think that, you know, like that sort of political angle isn't something that they wanted to go too yes. deep into. No, absolutely. There's like little hints of it, um, you know, but it is hints of it in the same way that I think like Star Wars does it with like the Empire, right? Like I don't think that there's a real sort of like undercurrent of anything, you know, like tr I, I, it's not really staking any kind of true stand about any kind of true countries or whatever. Right. Um, but it is sort of like, like waving the flag of, you know, oppressed people should not be oppressed. Right. That kind of a thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it felt a little on the nose to me when the Justice Society shows up. It's like, we're here to maintain, like, international order. And they're like, fuck you, right? Like, <laughs> you won't come interfere when we're being oppressed only when, like, you know, when, you know, you've got you've got a problem with us, right? Like, you know, like when we threaten your peace, right? Like, um, which, again, I think they were making a point there. And I think it was relatively well done, all things considered, right? Like, it, they do present a tough problem. Um, they also like, I think I will say this, the, the, one of the advantages to the darker DCEU is that you can kind of do those things and it feels kind of appropriate, right? Like it feels like, you know, this is a darker take on some of this stuff and that's, so that's okay. Um, which I, which I, which I do appreciate. Um, yeah. Um, oh man. Uh, so I, I want to talk about the, I want to talk about the Rock. I want to talk about okay. the Rock and his performance because it makes me um, uh, it makes me excited. I guess for for his career, I 
said when the Black Adam trailer came out, the thing that I was excited about was that this was not a, a movie where The Rock is doing his, like, shtick, basically, right? It feels like the first trailer of a movie that I have seen with The Rock where he is not doing his, like, action hero, you know, like, living action figure kind of persona of, you know, every the, the stakes aren't that high. Everything's going to be fine. I'm kind of a comedy action star. Let's let's go for a let's go for a ride together, right? He takes Black Adam so fucking seriously and I cannot get over it. I like how different it is when when you're watching The Rock play something that is dramatic and understated and the straight foil to other characters who are playing, you know, kind of like the comedy bits, right? Um, it's just so different, and what a breath of fresh air, man. I loved every fucking second of that. <laughs> it was so fun just to, like, watch The Rock have a good, like, have a good time, it felt like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm there for, like, 90, per like 90 maybe even 95% of it. The parts where, like, the kid is, like, and then say your catchphrase to them before you murder them, right? Like, those parts felt a little bathosy to me, but, like, that was, like, it was not enough to make me mad about it. It was just it was just enough that I was kind of like, eh, eh, I'm not sure this is working for me. Yeah, there were parts of it that worked and parts of it that didn't. Um, like I love, like there were a couple of bits that just really, honestly, I thought were fucking funny. Like the, the bit about sarcasm, I, that was just a good joke. Yeah. I wouldn't even call that bathos, right? Like it's just characters, you know, kind of like making banter and, but it's not at the expense of the drama, obviously. Um, and I just thought all of that stuff like worked like fucking gangbuster. I, I was, I was a happy camper about all of it. Yeah. No, I, I was, I, I thought it was, I thought it was relatively good. What did, what did you think of? Our, our side character, like you know, I guess Cyclone and Adam Smasher are the are the big ones. Um, by the way, um, this this was something that my my I went to see this with my girlfriend. She's a bit younger than me, and like Henry Winkler shows up as like a cameo. I'm like, oh, that's neat. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's like the Fonz. And she was like, you mean John Ralphio's dad? I'm like, have you heard of Happy Days? And she's like, no. And I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. wow. Honestly, that you know. My partner is the same age as me, and I'm pretty sure she would make that exact same <laughs> <error>. uh, <laughs> um, No, yeah. But I So I liked them. I was a little underwhelmed by those two in particular. I thought they were fine. They just didn't have the screen time to do anything. The thing that's frustrating about it is that Adam Smasher is actually a really, really interesting character in the comics. He goes to bat for... So, okay, so... Black Adam is actually in the Justice Society for a while, right? Like, he is a superhero doing superheroic things in the Justice Society. And then in the comics, this thing happens where he, where, like, Kondok is getting sort of, um, you know, is getting kind of attacked or whatever. And he's like, we need to do something. And the Justice Society are like, no, we don't have jurisdiction to go there. We cannot go, like, do... The, you know, like we cannot go do this thing, and Black Adam goes. He go. He he creates a, a like a little squad of him and his guys, and he goes and he liberates conduct from these you know from this oppressive kind of influence or whatever. I don't really really, really even remember who it was, but one of the people on on his team was Adam Smasher, right? And Adam Smasher was like a true believer and a true friend, right, um, of Black Adam at the time because he thought that you know yeah we had this sort of. Um, 
you know, we had this moral obligation to do something about it, right? Not to just let it, you know, go by, you know, like, go by the wayside, but to actually kind of, like, act. Um, and they have a really neat friendship just because Black Adam doesn't, he never really wants to be part of the Justice Society. He's kind of like conscripted into the justice society, but then things sort of work out because he is fundamentally kind of lawful aligned. It's just that he is evil. Right. Um, but then obviously like then stuff kind of creates this conflict and Adam Smasher is the guy who like wants to empathize and be this bridge between black Adam and, and the justice society. And all of that is lost in this, right? Like you, th there's no level uh, th where any of that plays. And I mean, there's a potential setup for it, right? Like, he does yeah. look at, he, you know, at the end of the movie, Adam Smasher's like, we made a pretty good team, blah, 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 um, which I assume is a is a setup for a later movie at some point, yep. in, in, in some regard. Um, it is funny that they chose Hawkman for this, too, because Hawkman is, like, famously pretty conservative, right? Like, not in terms of like direct politics, but just in terms of like the way you might understand a person to be small C conservative. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and so, uh, Hawkman tends to be brutal. He tends to be willing to like kill people to get the jobs, the job done, right? Like he's the guy who runs in with his spiked mace and is beating the shit out of these people. And you're just like, Whoa, buddy, right? Like, Green Arrow, who's the opposite, right? Like, he's small L liberal. Green Arrow thinks Hawkman is, like, a fucking fascist. And he literally calls... He calls Hawkman a fascist. Um, and, um... And, and so it's, it was a little interesting to sort of, like, see this dynamic. But, like, you, I, I think it works just because he's he comes off as so fundamentally, like, stubborn and, like, just willing to throw down. Right? Yeah, no, he, 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 he plays as very lawful neutral in this yeah. in this movie um is 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 this character what's his what's the the carter something is, is he is carter he, hall yeah is carter hall directly from the comics uh yeah well so yes interestingly okay this is complicated so hawkman has maybe the most complicated backstory of all time and it's because of how the golden age of superheroes and the silver age of superheroes interact okay so in the golden age of superheroes this is the first wave of superheroes that come out right you have batman you have superman uh but you also have the flash wonder woman right um you have green lantern right and these are in the 40s, right around like World War II. And a bunch of superheroes come up in this time, including Aquaman, you know, uh, uh, and Hawkman, right? Um, and the Golden Age version of Hawkman is that he is an archaeologist who figures out that he, uh, who like, he gets this like special amulet. He gets this like special, like, you know, like Egyptian amulet when he's, when he's like diving into like the pyramids or whatever. Um, and this is what this is what gives him these these wings, the nth metal wings that allow him to fly. Right. Um, he also does this with his wife, and they have this cycle of death and rebirth. Right, where you eventually find out that Carter Hall and Shiera Hall, right, who are um, Carter Hall and Shiera Hall are Hawkman and Hawkwoman, right? Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Sometimes um, they are together. Uh, but, like, they, they're part of this, like, eternal blood curse, right? Where they were together in ancient Egyptian times, and when they and they are destined to, when they fall truly into love, to be killed together and then reincarnated to have to find one another all over again, right? Like, this is, this is sort of the backstory that was in the golden age of, of 
superhero comics, right? Then the Silver Age of superhero comics come around, and Hawkman and Hawkgirl are aliens. They are Thanagarian aliens who come from another planet called Thanagar, where they are essentially police officers, right? Where the flying, um, like, hawk police or whatever, they just, they fly around and they, and they like, fight crime and they come to Earth and they're fighting sort of space crime on Earth, right? So, like, the Green Lantern Corps? Like the Green Lantern Corps, but not the Green Lantern yeah, yeah. Corps, right? Um, and because those two origins are so weird and, like, disparate, when DC Comics did the thing in Crisis on Infinite Earths where it took all of, you know, like, all of the continuity and sort of and sort of crammed it together. The thing that they canonize is that both the Justice Society, which is the team-up comic from the 1940s, right, where all of these all of these characters got together, they got together in the Justice Society, um, and the Justice League, which is the same comic from the 50s and 60s, right, uh, those were both canonized as being real things, right? But Hawkman and Hawkgirl, or Hawkwoman, were both characters in both of those comics and they were completely different versions of those characters, right? So this movie sort of threads the needle by just not really getting into it. Who knows where Carter Hall, who Carter Hall is, where he got his fucking powers. He's a guy, he has an nth metal mace and he has these this hawk, you know, these hawk wings and he flies around on them. And, and that's about the end of it. there's no right? hawk woman to be seen. Um, yeah, and there's also no there's also no Hawkwoman to be seen. Um, uh, well, how, so, do they, how do they resolve it in the comics? Now you've got me curious. In the comics, the Thanagarian versions are the, uh, this this cycle of death and rebirth is actually maintained, and the Thanagarian versions um, are one of the cycles. The, uh, yeah, are like one of the, are one of the cycles. They just they happen to like reincarnate into these aliens or whatever. Um, and it's even more complicated than that because the other thing that happens in the comics is there's there's two different Hawkwomen. There's Kendra, uh, there's Shiera Hall, and there's Kendra Hall, I think. And the thing that happens with Shiera Hall is um, when Hawkman and Hawkwoman find out that they are destined to repeat this thing, they like have a weird moment where they take their fate into their own hands. And he lives, Carter lives, but Shiera dies, right? But because that fucks with the curse, Shiera gets weirdly merged into Kendra, who is another like hawk person or whatever. And like, so theoretically the curse is broken, but like also Carter is like weird. This honestly comes off. as like very weird in the modern era. This was, this was 20 years ago when like gender politics were different. Carter is like definitionally in love with Shiera and Shiera's spirit is inside of Kendra, but she is her own person and she is not in love with Carter. She kind of thinks that Carter is a huge dickhead actually. Um, and so, and so, like, that's, like, drama. They're in the Justice Society together, and he kind of pines for her, and she kind of fucking hates him. Um, and then eventually she she moves over to the Justice League. She joins the Justice League. She starts fucking Red Arrow, of all people, um, you know, uh, uh, from Young Justice fame or whatever. Um, Carter is very mad about it. He hates being cucked. He's super jealous or whatever. And then in the story, Blackest Night, um, when shit is going down... Carter goes to Kendra, like Kendra's house, uh, when she's like being attacked, and he and he saves her life. And in that moment, she admits that you know 
as much as she plays like fucking whatever, like hard to get or whatever, she does get it. She understands what Shaira saw in him. And in some small way, she does think that she loves him. And then they are both devoured by zombies because she has now fulfilled the, 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 the contents of the curse. And yeah, and they are killed again. So, you know, that's how that happens. <laughs> that's how that works. Well, that's, uh, that's one way to do it, I guess. <laughs> what a weird fucking hero. Well, it is intensely strange. It is very, very weird. But I actually, I actually like him a lot. I like him a lot in team settings, right? Um, you know, one of the things that I think is neat about this movie is that it gets to do the cool thing of bringing characters who are not all that compelling or interesting on their own. I would not say Doctor Fate. Um, uh, Hawkman, Cyclone, or Adam Smasher. And none of these characters could make their own. You could not write a, a very good movie out of them. They're pretty thin overall. But I on think, an I ensemble, think, I on think a you team, could write a good Doctor Fate movie. I do think. I, oh, see, I disagree. This is part of my thing might, about Doctor Fate and Doctor Strange are the same in my in my head. In that they work as a person who gets consulted uh, by other people. Right? Okay, that's fair. In the same way yeah. Yeah, that, I, that I don't love uh, the second Doctor Fate movie, be, or the second Doctor Strange movie for this reason, I think I like a lot that Doctor Fate in this movie is just kind of there to say, like, wise, cryptic shit, because, you know, he is connected to... I, it bothers me that they don't talk about Naboo at all, because, the, the, you know, the, the, the helmet is Naboo. He's the Lord of Order. Um, who is like trying to protect magic from being, you know, sort yeah. of perverted or whatever? They me they mentioned that he's literally possessed, but that he no he never talks as not Kent when he's got the helmet yeah. on. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, that stuff is great in just in I'm sorry, not Justice League in Young Justice, uh, but it doesn't really come across here. And you know, whatever, th it's time. I also just think that Pierce Brosnan like kills it. Like, what a perfect casting for this, this specific role. Like, wow, they nailed it right on the head. Get, so, lore wise, can you tell me what happened with his helmet? Like at the end there, like. Like, Hawkman picks it up, gets to use his powers for a little bit. The eyes show up on the thing as if, you know, presumably that's Naboo, like, exercising his own will. And mm -hmm. then it, like, disappears into the ether. Yeah, uh, so in the comics, the helm is a... In the comics, the helm itself is sort of like an artifact that's almost like like Excalibur, right? Um, in the sense that, like, it chooses its wielder, right? So, for instance, a, th a thing that happens in the comics, uh, in the, actually the same comics that are referenced in this with, like, Abana and Adriana uh, in 52, there's a, there's a character named Elongated Man. He's a, he's a detective who can stretch, kind of like Mr. Fantastic in the Fantastic Four, or Plastic Man. Um, he get, the, the, Dr. Fate's helm appears to him. Right. And he is now sort of he doesn't he doesn't put the helm on. He doesn't wield the power of Naboo, but he is sort of like the person that the helm has chosen. Now, I will spoil things and say that that was not actually the helm of Naboo doing th like this stuff or whatever. Um, but it like that that is fundamentally the mechanics of how it works. Right. What happens when the, the helmet fades away at the end is it is going to go choose another sort of wielder right in the same way that like the green lantern ring would do would do something sort of um similar in the comics uh when kent nelson dies it goes to his like nephew i think who's like a who's like a real fuck up he's like an alcoholic or whatever um but like kent uses the like uses his last sort of will with the helmet to to tell it to go and like essentially like 
He's like, hey, go to my grand nephew and, and get him to get his shit together. Okay, and the helmet sort of does that, and then you kind of have this like, it's almost a little bit like John Constantine. Do you know John Constantine, that character? Oh, uh, a little bit. Yeah, there was a yeah, Keanu like Reeves kinda, movie, right? Yeah, and he's he's kind of like snappy zingers, magic guy or whatever. Um, it's a little bit of what the like the the new Doctor Fate was in the comics. I don't actually remember what happened after that. Like what the state of um, Doctor Fate in uh, in DC ended up sort of like a being after that point, but. Uh, to the po- to the extent that I follow those comics, that's where uh, that's where that's where I got to. Okay, so probably they're gonna have this helmet appear on somebody who's young, and like they can make a movie about without it being a man who's a hundred years old or whatever. That's that that makes sense. Um, but yeah, um, man, I felt like you know Adam Smasher had like a had like a at least had like a little bit of personality to him. It felt like Cyclone really didn't get a lot. Like she just kind of like was there. Yeah, I would have enjoyed more with Cyclone and I am also a little bit uh you know, disappointed that that she didn't feature sort of heavier. Cyclone's thing and the thing that makes her so interesting in the comics is that she is the granddaughter of the original Red Tornado, whose name is Ma Hunkle, who is a um who's just like a like a super old, you know, superhero, right? Uh and she goes on, she quits the superhero business, she has a bunch of kids, one of her granddaughters like inherits her power. So Cyclone is a woman. She's, she's 18. She's a, she's a, like a student at Harvard or whatever. She's a woman who has grown up surrounded by these superheroes, kind of in the way that like a family, right? You can imagine a patriot, like a patriarch figure. Like, um, I mean, Hawkman isn't really a patriarch in the justice society. The real the patriarchs of the justice society are wildcat, the flash and green lantern who are all old guys, right? Like these are guys who've been around for a long, long time. Um, part of what it's, what those comics are built around is the idea that like the justice society is this family and you have kind of moms and dads and aunts and uncles and cousins who are all sort of like in it together. And Adam Smasher and Cyclone actually would, would be sort of theoretical cousins in this makeshift family that you have going. But like, she is someone who grew up around the superheroics of the Justice Society because her grandma was a founding member of it, right? Um, and so she actually has a lot of access to that history and that kind of, like, family drama so that when new people are sort of inducted into the family and brought into the Justice Society, there is sort of a mouthpiece for how, how the, you know, like, the family works, right? Think of it sort of like, uh, you know, like, like maybe, like, the gossip in the family who lets the, you know, like, if, if I'm getting married into into someone's family the person who comes over and fills me in on who hates who and why they do or whatever that's kind of what cyclone is like right um none of that really works here because she doesn't really have that backstory so she has the same sort of personality this kind of like upbeat sort of uh you know teenager kid but that's pretty generic without the the specific nature of being so rooted in the history of the justice society to kind of like make it all come together that makes sense um, yeah, I, I do, I do appreciate that there's a lot implied by this movie. Like there's a, like, you know, the Justice Society apparently exists co, co contemporaneously with the Justice League, right? Like, and like also works with Amanda Waller, uh, you know, who is, of you know, the Suicide Squad woman, um, which, you know, I, I, I thought she had some interesting moments, like 
it was interesting to see her, but it didn't feel like they gave her enough kind of to do. Um, I like Amanda Waller as this sort of weirdly Nick Fury kind of character who has shown up in a bunch of these movies by now. Um, like she's like an uh, evil Nick Fury. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And that's kind of true, actually, right? Like, one of the, you know, a lot of what underpins sort of Justice League, Justice Society stuff is how much they fight with, you know, like the powers that be in order to accomplish their sort of like superheroes. There isn't really a shield in the DC universe in the same way that there is in, the, in like the Marvel universe. And like the Suicide Squad and Amanda Evil uh, and Amanda Waller are like, categorically pretty evil like they're kind of villains even if they all sort of like agree with one another and are like fighting the same sort of um threat right like the justice league hates the idea of the suicide squad but like amanda waller loves it because she can't control the justice league and she wants that kind of control so i kind of like that she keeps showing up in these just to kind of be like what up <laughs> you know, like, and my hope is that i don't know maybe when this dumb flash movie that everyone's gonna boycott because ezra miller is like a Fuck wit. Weird. Yeah, like... Uh, criminal, you know, like, maybe. Yeah, who knows, right? Uh, my hope is that that will sort of put some of this stuff together in a way that is, like, a compelling continuity, right? Um, a lot of people have said that they want a lot of these actors to keep on the roles, right? So, for instance, um, you know, obviously Henry Cavill comes back in the post credit scene. Thank God they just released this huge, big press release that said, yes, Henry Cavill is back as Superman in the DCEU, and he is going to feature in more you know movies as superman which i think is great because i think he's so fucking good at it and i love it and everyone is is happy about that but i'm actually pretty down for you know a version of things where oh but actually also even this is weird it seems like ben affleck might be staying on as batman uh weirdly enough because not only is he showing up in flashpoint right as a maybe major character in that in that movie he also is maybe showing up as maybe a major character in aquaman 2 and it's just like what what is that gonna look like right because we have robert pattinson in that sort of i was gonna say um, is, that is, is robert movie. pattinson supposed to age into <laughs> okay are you, are you ready for the giga the the giga brained take and i would go ape shit is you just make robert pattinson nightwing you just make him nightwing and who is who is Nightwing and he's been Nightwing this whole time and he's part of the Bat family and we can finally do a fucking proper Bat family movie like the one that I complained about uh, when we did our when we did our Batman podcast right um, I think I think that's maybe the smoothest way because everybody seems to enjoy all of these other characters except for fucking nobody likes Ezra Miller obviously but like it's not like anybody is like Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot should not be Wonder Woman, right? Like everybody's like no yeah she's great Wonder Woman Jason Momoa is a fantastic Aquaman yeah and right? and, and um, also like. People liked Ezra Miller as the Flash. They don't like Ezra Miller as a human being, which is a totally <laughs> different problem, right? Like, um, yep, yeah. I mean, I think if it were me, I would just make Grant Gustin the Flash, the guy from the Flash TV show. I don't know if you would go for something like that, but like the idea that you bring that into <clears throat> the the actual cinematic universe, I think people would go fucking mm. wild. You know, they would go ape shit for that. So, um, so, so this, this this is a very dumb idea. But do you think they could pull off like making Ezra Miller the Reverse Flash, just like, <laughs> like, like I, it I, was I, me, Barry. Yeah. <laughs> I made you break into that, you know, Vermont couple's home and burglarize their whatever. <laughs> no, no. Oh my God. 
That's funny though. That's actually pretty funny. I don't know what they're gonna do for the for the reverse Flash when it comes to when it comes to Flashpoint because um, he is obviously the villain. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, especially because Michael Keaton is also back as Batman in that movie, right? Is I don't know. Maybe this is. Well, we'll see how it works out. We will see how it works out. Indeed, I agreed. Um, I, do you have any thoughts? Do you have any advanced thoughts about? Uh, Batman, uh, not Batman, Superman, uh, Henry Cavill. I'm happy to see Daddy Cavill back. Like, I think, I think, <laughs> I think he's a cool guy. He played, you know, my, my favorite thing is that Xbox or PlayStation, PC, right? Like, you know, <laughs> he's a bro. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I, I don't, I'm not um, gel as well with the Superman movies as you do, but I also don't hate them as much as a lot of people do. Um, I thought, yeah. I, I think, I think... So the thing I will say about him to his is like, I don't think there's anybody out there that I know of that looks more like a Superman that I imagine, right? Like, and you, yeah, th- th- he just it's like a perfect cast. Like you were saying with 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 uh, with, with Doctor Fate, like it, it it is a perfect casting for Superman, and I'm more than happy to see him re- re- reprise the role. Me too, especially because Superman versus Black Adam is a fight that all it's like it is sort of like. The Hulkbuster armor, you know, the the Hulkbuster armor is there because the Hulk versus Iron Man is a trope in the comics. It happens all the time. Or another version of this might be Thor versus the Hulk, who also sort of just fight and duke it out all the time in the comics. Um, I think that uh, having a Black Adam 2 that has Superman as like a supporting character um, and does some of this other stuff that that the first one sets up with Adriana and Amon would actually be really neat and interesting, right? Uh, one of the interesting things about Black Adam, right, is that he is a magical, like, he's a magical creature. So, one of Superman has two weaknesses. It's not just kryptonite. It's kryptonite and it's magic, right? Um, his powers, like, don't work well against magic, right? Um, and I, there, there's no good way to explain that, that it will make sense to you. Or, like, that you will think about it and you will be like, okay, well, if I shoot him with a gun, it bounces off. Yes, correct. If I shoot him with a gun that's magic, yep, right through his heart, he's dead. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the rules don't make sense. There are no rules, right? <laughs> but, famously, one of the things that Superman is weak to in, you know, in DC Comics lore is magic. And that's what makes the Black Adam Superman fight so compelling. Same thing with, actually, uh, Superman and Captain Marvel. That that fight is less common, but also just as sort of, like, fun. And, um, and it's sort of neat that in this film... Black Adam has more direct magical powers. Uh, one of the things he does is he electrocutes, um, you know, he's shooting lightning from his fingertips or whatever. Um, that is not super supported. Like, if in in the comics, if Black Adam or um, or Shazam were to use lightning, they would ha- they would need to summon the lightning bolt, right? So the thing they famously do is they grab the person, they hold them up to the sky, right? And then they say Shazam and the lightning bolt strikes the person instead of them, right? That's the that like that's the that's the kind of thing. Eh, Black Adam he just shoots lightning from his fingers all the time. Don't love it, but you know, it it does give us very sweet brutal kills, kills that yeah. made everyone in the audience go Whoa! <laughs> like, 
Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. I, I am I am at this point I'm a little bit more excited for the DCEU than I am for the MCU. Um I still need to watch the uh the uh the Ant Man and the Wasp three trailer, which is like, you know, Ant Man's my boy, so I'm excited for that. But otherwise whatever. Um but yeah, we'll see. We are we are we are at an hour. I guess that. Do you have any final thoughts? I th- I have said everything I want to say about Black. Yeah, Man. I don't think I, I fucking any... I fucking loved it. It's dirty as fuck. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I I would say like I thought it was entertaining. I would. Uh, I don't. I feel like I'm gonna forget most of it. Like I have forgotten most of uh, uh, Black Widow by this point, right? I think I've forgotten most of Multiverse of Madness at this point. Um, I don't. True, to be honest, yeah. I don't think I will remember most of Black Adam, um, uh, by you know this time next year. Um, uh, but you know that doesn't mean it wasn't fun. It doesn't mean I regret watching it. All right. Yeah, I feel that. Time for our weeks. Uh, so, first thing I want to do is just give a Great British Bake Off report, where I just want to rant for just a second. Um, buddy, I'm going to send you a picture and I'm going to put it on the screen for our viewers. Um, Hell yeah, let's go. So you see these, this, this, this was on the Great British Bake Off for the technical challenge. Do you know what this is? They're s'mores. Yeah. Do you know what these s'mores are fucking made out of? They're made out of digestive biscuits and chocolate ganache and like homemade marshmallows. And it's like, I'm just, I was just entirely furious watching this. It's like, this is not how sport, this is not how you do a fucking s'more, right? This is like... S'mores are supposed to be, like, fucking graham... Like, I get that they don't have graham crackers, right? Because they're British and weird. But, like, you're supposed to buy it all at the store and do it over a fucking campfire. Not, like, artisanally make every fucking piece of this. Like, I was, like, tearing, clawing my eyes out while they were trying to do this. Just because it's, like... This- you know, yeah, I, yeah I, I get this now, actually. Because I've seen this image and I didn't actually interrogate it at all. But I 100% agree with you. It is like making an artisanal hot dog. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like the point of it is to be like at, at when you put a a high quality sausage in a hot dog bun, you no longer call that a hot dog, right? You like call it, like it a bratwurst. Ceases to be, yeah, exactly. It ceases to be a hot dog at that point because part of the de- like one of the definitional qualities of this type of food is the poor quality, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, or the junk food quality, right? Like this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, this. Otherwise, the episode was fun. <laughs> it was a Halloween episode, um, you know. And you know, my my uh, long- it's a what, s'more is s'mores a Halloween thing? No, but I think they just kind of like I mean, yeah, they've been like, running it's out a of camping ideas. Thing, yeah, right. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. Whatever. I love s'mores to be to be yeah. like fair. You know what I mean? Like, I, you will always get me in the room for a good fucking s'more, but. <laughs> yeah, no, I, when, when I was a kid, like once in a while, we'd be like make s'mores over the the gas stove, which is like a weird thing yep. to do. But it's like you know, when you don't have a campfire ready, that's that's a way to do it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the the chocolate ganache is really what got to me here, right? Like I can understand like doing some of this other stuff, but like it's ganache. What the fuck are you? T- <sighs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, otherwise with my week. Um, I've been watching Vicky three footage because I'm excited for that to mm-hmm. come out tomorrow. A um, uh, bunch of other little stuff. I finished watching season one of Community again, so maybe we should talk about that at some point. Um, okay. Just to close out my point from last time about Pierce getting kind of like done dirty. Um, uh, Jeff cries on Pierce's shoulder 
when uh, Slater dumps him. Uh, when the when Professor Slater dumps him, which, you know, I had forgotten. I, I remember that he, like, he has, like, a, you know, he finally, like, lets himself admit that it hurts. But I forgot that it was on Pierce's shoulder, which is, like, not the character you expect that to be, right? Like That is true. Yeah, that's weird. Um, but it's excellent television, as always. Um, uh, it was funny because I went through this whole thing about, like, the Happy Days thing. And I was playing Jump the Shark to my girlfriend. And then there was an episode in the first season where they, they referenced that. And Troy goes, there was a show called Happy Days where he actually jumps over a shark. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, 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 we right before recording, we literally just watched the first se- episode of season two, which has like a mm-hmm. Betty White. Um, like, and the, the end is like them doing like a rap and then going into, uh, I bust the reins down in Africa. Like just, you know, top quality television there. Um, yeah. Alongside that, we watched this, we, in between that and this first episode, we watched the second season of Dairy Girls, six seasons, six episodes long. Um, still very funny. Highly recommend it again. Um, you know, what is it? It's, uh, it's five, five Irish girls and a, and an English boy growing up during the troubles. Um, and like the end of the season is when Bill Clinton visits Derry, which is a thing that happened in real life that I wasn't aware of, but it's like the IRA calls a ceasefire. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's just, it's, it is, I don't know if it, it feels like, so these, apparently these actresses are a little bit like they're not high school girls. Um, and once you mentioned it, it you could, you can see it, right. It's, it's not like quite as bad as like, you know, some shows where like, that's part of the joke, but like, it feels like. Maybe some of these people like lived through this when they were kids, um, but it was uh, it's 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 a good show. It's a good show. Okay, very cool. Yeah, that's interesting. the The show that I've been watching most recently is like uh, well, it's actually Futurama, but like the the show that is worthwhile like to talk about. Everybody loves Futurama. Futurama is great. Yeah. Next sentence. Um, the uh, is House of the Dragon. Have you have you watched any House of the Dragon? Paid nope. attention to any House of the Dragon? Not at all. I kind of want to review House of the Dragon and Rings of Power just because they're both crazy high fantasy sort like shows that you know kind of popped up. One of which you know is a billion dollar show by by Amazon. Uh, the other of which is a billion dollar show by Warner Brothers by HBO. Right. Um, kind of fucking love House of the Dragon, to be honest. House of the Dragon is, like, outside of the context of, like, all of the sort of pressures to be, like, Game of Thrones, that sort of Game of Thrones buckled under, right? It's just sort of great. It's, just, it's like, it, I, I guess my thing is it captures the stuff that was the coolest and most interesting about Game of Thrones in Game of Thrones seasons one and two, right? Um, you know, small council meetings, right? Huge. What a huge difference it just makes to have the, a bunch of characters, you know, um, kind of gathered around that table having a meeting about what they want to, you know, like what they want to do, who's marrying who, who's doing whatever, right? Like all that stuff I think is so cool and so great. So I don't know. I've, I've been... Really fucking digging House of the Dragon. Plus, Daemon Targaryen is a... He's chat as hell. He's the coolest. <laughs> you know, like, what a baller that guy is. Um, but uh, but I haven't watched the Lord of the Rings show. Uh, I've heard mixed things. Uh, Rachel likes it. Uh, Lindsay Ellis thinks it's dumb. Uh, Simil- similarly, my girlfriend likes it. 
and Eric Kane thinks it's dumb. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of it, I think, is I checked out of this show when it became a political, you know, like when it became like a hot button thing. I just could not be fucked. When people started talking about black dwarves and like girl power elves or whatever, I was just like, you know what, man? I have, like, watched Culture War shows before, which is to say, like, not shows that are made for the Culture War or consist of the Culture War, but that become battlefields for the Culture War, and they are exhausting, and I don't Care. want it. You know, like, I... I will get I will get too mad. I'll, I'll I'll subscribe to the subreddit, right? And I'll see people arguing, and I want to argue in the fucking comics. And it's like, man, dude, I already already argue in the comments of like the WoW subreddit enough. Like, I don't need to add more to my. I have a very busy plate of arguing about dumb shit on fantasy subreddits. Okay, you guys, right? Um, and uh, and it's funny that this has attacked. Uh, this has attacked the Lord of the Rings show when. Game of Thrones is so much more diverse, like, or I'm sorry, House of the Dragon is so much more diverse than Game of Thrones uh, in terms of, like, a whole house is just, like, made up of black characters, and it is a plot point that when one of the black characters marries a white character and that character keeps having white babies, that everybody knows that she is not having she's not having her husband's true kids, that she's having a bunch of bastards, right? Like, you know, it's like, that... I can't. How is that not political? Like politicized by these people? But I don't know, man. I just like I'm I mean, very tired of all of that stuff, and I don't want to engage with it. So I've just been avoiding the Lord of the Rings show. But I just I, I kind of want to see what what the two are like back to back because they are they're kind of placed so aggressively against one another. Yeah. So I, to my mind, a lot of this fell off like after the first couple of weeks of both shows. Like people stopped like talk, like I, I definitely saw like is is the person you're talking about that's having the white kids? Is that a Targaryen? Okay, because I, I definitely saw a couple of comments that were like, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable that like the the Targaryens in the show are black and then the Targaryens in Game of Thrones are all white. And like, what does that imply about what happened in between? Um, which, you know, maybe. Yeah, so technically it is the, the Targaryens in the show are uh, in House of the Dragon are white, but there is another Targaryen family called the Valerians, right, okay. who are, are not, they're not a Targaryen family, I, I mean to say Valerian, right, who came from old Valyria, right, this is the thing that makes the Targaryens special, they can ride dragons, right, the Valerians can also, or, uh, um, wait, I was right, the, the Valerians can also ride, ride dragons, right, um, and and they're and they are and they are black, right? Um, and so the the two sh the, the like the two families and their interactions are actually kind of neat and interesting. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That's that's like that's the only interesting show stuff that's been happening. Honestly, I've been watching a lot of Twitch streamers and Twitch streamer drama recently because like it's juicy and so fucking stupid. I feel like I am becoming a reality television watcher by like getting getting invested you know like in this and like wa watching this stuff but it's so fun i i can't i can't it, you it's like it's basically someone putting out eight hours of television every single day and you just know that somewhere in there someone's gonna pop on a discord call and say something fucking stupid and everyone is gonna start arguing about it and i don't know why it's fun to watch but it is <laughs> um uh yeah but i have been playing a bunch of games um like, have you been playing any games? What, what have you been doing games-wise? Uh, so, actually, I, I can talk about this for just a second. Um, 
So for a hot second, I was like, I'm going to go for Veilstrider. And I like slammed through the um, Kyrian story and the uh, and most of the who were the vampire the van, the Venthyr story, um, and after like two nights of doing this, I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to hate myself. But I'm going to burn myself out on a while before Dragonflight comes out. Um, when I managed to like manage it so well for the entire expansion, I'm not going to yep. do this to myself. Um, <laughs> I will say that I think that like I think I might go and finish the stories for all four covenants because I don't know. Uh, I thought the Kieran story was very cool for understanding, like, Pelagos and understanding why he becomes the, uh, it's not the Avatar, uh, the, um, Arbiter. Arbiter, thank you. Um, why he becomes the Arbiter. When does he go to Halo? That's my big question. Um, <laughs> um but, uh, but no, I, I, like, they go through the steps of, like, Pelagos being like, hmm, I understand the value that the Venthyr bring, and I understand the value that, like, you know, and, like, not, like, it was a little bit corny, but it was inter- it was good to understand because you didn't really get a uh, window into that playing just through the Night Fate campaign. Um, yep. Venthyr had some cool parts, too. Um, I wish I had, like, I kind of wish I had known this was happening and I had maybe started a couple weeks earlier because if I could space it out, like, I think the Tea Party mechanic seems pretty cool, right? Like, the... The Night Fae mechanic is nice in that it's kind of like you just, like, put the seeds in the ground and, like, you're done mm. and, like, you get a bunch of mats. Um, that's great from, like, a, you know, an in-game economic standpoint. But from, like, um, you know, it, it, it's not particularly, you know, uh, interactive mechanic is the, the way I'd put it, I guess. Um, and so, like, I've been having a, a bit of fun with that. But otherwise, you know, I spent my time this week on that mostly. Otherwise, I was just kind of, like doofing around with things. I'm still working on my hitbox. If, hold on. Ugh. I will show you my, my progress. I have trying to lay this out before I do it on the real thing. This is like draft one of my buttons. Um, so like, I was like, oh, I kind of like let my fingers rest and see, see what this is. This is actually, here, let me see if I can get this on camera. This is actually a little bit too spread out to be comfortable. My hand, my fingers are a little, feel a little strained. I need to get these buttons closer together, but that's why I'm doing it on cardboard first before I commit it to, like, the thing that I actually want to put it on. Um, so I need to pull these a little bit closer together in that. But, like, that's kind of like the project I've been working on, um, which is this hitbox. Because I'm hyped for Street Fighter Six because there was a beta a couple weeks ago that I didn't play in, but the footage is all going up for it, and people are talking about it. So, you know. That's been most of my weeks in game. Oh, yeah, that's most of most of my weeks in game. I've got another thing to talk about, but I'll let you talk since you got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Uh, the stuff I have to talk about, I don't know. I've been playing. I've been playing a lot of uh, Overwatch Two. Um, you know, same thing from from last week. Uh, weirdly, the the you know, I just keep climbing the battle pass, but I'm also getting just better at the game now. Um, I've started earning plays of the game on supports. Uh, I actually started earning plays of the game on Baptiste, who is maybe the, like, maybe it's harder to win a play, get a play of the game on Mercy than it is on Baptiste, right? Um, Baptiste, the only thing he does is shoot a gun. He has no offensive options. He heals, and then he can do a thing where he throws this, this disc into the air, and the disc makes everybody in the little field immortal, right? 
Um, but he really just has no, like, like there's just not a lot of playmaking potential, right, with Baptiste. He's a very sort of normal uh, character with a kind of normal kit. Um, and I love, and I actually really love Baptiste, and I've, and I've gotten really, like, into playing him just because he's so straightforward. One of the things is that the game keeps incentivizing me to queue for all roles, and it puts you into support a lot of the time. And so I was just like, well, what's this straight, the most easy support to sort of like back up a team on and the answer sort of is Baptiste. It's kind of like how, you know, like you might say Garen is like an a, like a learning champion for top lane. It's like Baptiste is like a learning hero for for support, right? Um but now I actually like have kind of really like connected with this character and I like him a lot and I've been playing him a lot and even after I completed my challenges I was like well maybe I want to play more Overwatch 2 than that and I ended up playing more you know like playing more Overwatch 2 and uh, and just kind of like all of that has kind of been like compounding on top of itself to be you know to sort of make Overwatch 2 weirdly like my main game in in the past two weeks except for one other game that I do want to mention here just because I kind of think it's funny. For my work, Mango, I have I have 21 games that are in my that are in my my Steam library for for my work at Akupara Games. Um, most of these have about you know five to ten hours played, right? I have like six hours in Spinch, right? I have ten hours in Whispering Willows. I have six hours in Relic Hunter Zero, right? You know, like that kind of a thing. Um, but I have been playing one one game of hours. So much that it is entering our my top played on Steam, and that's Astrea Six Sided Oracles, the dice deck builder. Um, I don't know what it is about this game, and I think I want to talk about it on the cast somehow, but I don't know how to. We'll, we'll have to figure out a good way to talk about it. Um, you know, just because obviously I work on I work on the game and everything. Um, but it has elucidated so many things about roguelikes to me and seeing you know like seeing the game progress through sort of uh through sort of development and the stuff that i'm able to do on it now compared to what i was able to do on it you know back when it was deeper you know deeper sort of into the development is is really is really interesting and i now have almost a hundred hours in australia six-sided oracles just because just because it's so easy to like load up. It's like it's like dungeon, right? You know, it's just like load up and start a run and like try your best and then fucking Astraea's hard. Astraea's <laughs> really hard. I would actually say it's probably the hardest game in the Akupara games uh uh catalog. And that includes Grime and uh and Spinch, both of which were also very hard. So um there is no release date on Steam. Is there is there a release date or is there like a time when you guys are going to announce the release date uh 2023 yeah well i mean you know i we, we've said that it's that it's on it's on the slate it's one of our you know it's one of our upcoming projects um i've been making these oracle spotlights i made the mooney oracle spotlight like a, a couple of weeks ago um and in that I, I talked about you know there are six oracles each of them have sort of like different sort of like mechanics and skills and stuff like that uh and um and when when it comes out, you we 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 can maybe like talk in more detail. I like I, this is maybe the first game we've ever published that I want to like do a cast on. Okay, uh, just because yeah. there's like a lot to there's like a lot to dig into. Um, I'll, I'll, weirdly, the other the other ones that have a lot of hours, I have 27 hours in Gone Viral, um, and I have uh, 45 hours in Cardboard Kings. So, like the other are the other sort of outliers for where I've spent a lot of my time. Let me see how many hours I have in Gone Viral because I'm I need to play that for a while. I play. I have ten hours in Gone Viral. Um, how much? How much do you have for Grime? I have twenty three hours in Grime. I, I beat Grime and then I didn't play it again. Um, mm -hmm. 
Uh, 18. Interesting, yeah. I did not beat Grime, but I did put 23 hours into that game, so. <laughs> oh, there's DLC coming out for Grime? I didn't know that. Uh, yep, that that is true. There is there is DLC coming out for Grime in the next uh, couple of things. We're, I, I, I was about to, I was about to <laughs> break NDA. <laughs> uh, no, yes, we are talking more about the Grime DLC at the Mix Next Publisher Showcase on Thursday. Okay, excellent. Um, yeah, for my part... The only other things I want to touch on is I've been playing through I've been playing some Rumbleverse just because that's a fun <coughs> excuse me that's a fun kind of like pick up play a couple games you know put it down type of thing. I am starting to get I won't say tired of it but like they have they've definitely been putting it feels like there's bots in the game and I don't think they're like cheaters I think they're like putting bots into like fill games that would otherwise be empty to cut down on queue times um, and that's less satisfying but it's still a super fun game. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about is I've been doing Duolingo for like the past uh, 70 days, I think, is what my streak is. Um, and I just, I had some interesting, I had a little bit, uh, a few thoughts on the gamification aspects of it. Um, just because it's uh, like, so uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to pay for the premium version. It doesn't get you a lot, um, but I figure it's like free learning tool, you know, there are worse things I can spend my money on. But one of the things it gets me is... If I do a lesson between 6 and 12 a.m., I get a bonus between 6 and 12 p.m. And if I do a lesson between 6 and 12 p.m., I get a bonus between 6 and 12 a.m. Um, and it's double XP for 15 minutes in both slots. Now, the uh, the thing – this is a good – I think this is a good example of good gamification. It's got me practicing French twice a day, right? It's like I got to take advantage of this um, because you get XP and getting XP lets you, like, climb up leagues. The converse side of this – is that because I care about my ranking, I am, like, sometimes strategically not practicing because I want to save, like, you know, save certain activities that give more XP for a week when I can potentially advance league, which I think is bad, but I think... I think there's, like, there's like interesting ramifications there, right? Like, the gamification options are definitely getting me to practice French more than I would otherwise, but it's also kind of, like, causing me to do weird things where I'm, like, you know, acting for the game instead of acting to actually learn the language, which... I think it's neat. I think it's overall successful, but I think it's uh, uh, I think it's just like an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, interestingly enough, I've been playing what my the mobile game of choice for me right now has been Wordscapes. Um, do you, have you ever have you ever heard of that? Uh, I don't think so. It is a um, it's a it's a they call it a crossword game. Uh, the thing that Wordscapes does is um, it gives you sort of like a crossword puzzle, and then at the bottom of the screen, it just shows you the letters, and you have to make every word that you can out of that selection of letters until you fill out the crossword puzzle with it, basically, um, which is actually just like a really, you know, five-minute, like, puzzle sort of thing. And the funny thing that, that happened to me about it that I thought was interesting was um, when I was just playing normally on my own, I was getting stuck a lot, and I was just kind of like sitting there and just like trying dumb words that I knew were not words right until i be until i would figure out like oh icy is what i'm looking for right you know it's just like icy why it's like not the kind of thing when you see those three letters you necessarily um sort of like go to right um but then i got entered into a tournament which i normally like ignore but like it's, it's one of those mobile game things where um you know the person who solves the most puzzles in like an hour or something like wins or whatever. Um, and the way that they did it was they measured stars, right? So every completed word gave you a, gave you stars. Um, 
and uh, and there were bonus stars. And, th and this is the thing that like activated it. You could get three stars for solving a puzzle, basically, right? Um, but if you solved the puzzle in three minutes or less, you got... Or in or like four minutes, five minutes, six minutes. You got like a multiplier, right? If you do it in three minutes or less, you get the most multiplier. So you get 12 stars for it or whatever. And all of a sudden, I was a god at Wordscapes. And I was solving... I solved like 14 puzzles in three minutes each. And I won the tournament by just... Get like racking up these 12 star puzzle wins like over and over and over again and i was just like what is it about like the psychology that without the time pressure i'm just sitting there i'm having a really hard time sort of like thinking outside the box and figuring out what the, what combinations these letters are right but with the time pressure i was just like able to sort of like get it across the finish line it was a very interesting thing i would i would wonder if there is like any like research on that in terms of uh it's like a behavioral science type thing i'm sure that like someone has done some study on or something um kind of underwriting that that whole interaction that makes sense you know it's, it's out you know it's, it's gamification right like it's, it's one of those things that like i want to say a handful of years ago was like the wave of the future is to like harness harness the power of gamification to advance learning or whatever all those things yep. fell off of a cliff because like uh you know i think like sometimes like those negative effects that i was describing can kind of overwhelm like the original intent but you know or they just don't take um but yeah, uh, definitely get that. Um, I think, did I do anything else super interesting this week? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, do, yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we got a couple of minutes. Do you want to talk about this Bayonetta thing? Have you heard oh, of the Bayonetta thing. I do know some some about this this Bayonetta thing. So that's um, uh, where the voice actress went on to Twitter and she said she was getting like a dog shit rate, and so she like stood up for herself and got fired or whatever. And then the role went to another. The role went to another woman. Yeah. So just the the brief strokes of this are the original voice actress for Bayonetta. I believe her name is Helena Taylor. Um, uh, was the way she, she she said she got a bad rate. Um, that rate is also kind of like commensurate with like a standard day rate. Um, uh, but point aside, they like she argue she goes comes to an impasse with the developers of the game Platinum Games, and they give the role to Jennifer Hale, who is a very famous voice actress, right? Like it's not like it's some nobody that they they you know yep. dumped it off on. Um, but the thing that's happened in the past few days. Um, might have even been this morning, is basically, like, so last week Jason Schreier reported that, like, you know, he, through his connections, he had heard that, like, maybe she was exaggerating some of this, right? Like, his reporting suggested that maybe she asked for, like, six figures. Um, but, and then this morning, or I, th I think either this morning or yesterday or sometime very recently, Helena Taylor comes out and is like, and the, the thing that happened was that she was offered 10000 initially, um, so she said she was offered 4,000. She was actually offered 10,000 initially when she called and talked to the director of the game. He said, we value you. And he upped it to 15,000, which is a 50% increase. Um, you might still think that's small, but that is like, that exceeds kind of like the standard rate for what these voice actors get for it. Right. They're union negotiated rate. Um, and you would also expect that like, this is the other thing, like voice actors do a bunch of jobs. Like this is only taking however many days yeah. of, of it's, this is know, expected like four right. or five days of her time. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, um, 
the thing the thing about Henry Taylor also basically only does Bayonetta, right? Like she's I don't think this is her main job. But um uh and then when that didn't work out, they offered her four thousand dollars to do a cameo, and she turned that down. And so now public opinion has has you know swung back in favor of Platinum Games because like you know she was lying in like seems like she was kind of being unreasonable. Um, you know, part of the thing for me is that like I think part of the problem here is that voice actors just like they do work that is valuable, and I don't want to diminish their role as like people who do work. But, like, yeah. they're not such an important part of video games that they can command a premium, right? Like, one of, one of the people I heard, you know, Pat from uh, Castle Super Beast, um, was talking about, like, how, like, he thought this was, like, atrocious. Like, back when the original story broke. Uh, he thought this was atrocious, and he would rather have a game where, like, there was no voice actors at all if people weren't going to get paid right. And that basically just indicates that, like, he doesn't think they're worth very much because he would play the game without her in it, right? Like, and that's just yep. like the sad truth of it, which you know, kind of sucks. But that that them's the shit. There has been a weird revolution in voice acting too. Um, you know, like one of the things that I was that I've noticed, right? Like old WoW expansions used to not be voice acted at all, right? But now everything is voice acted, right? Um, you know, uh, up to and including sort of like the main quest. Um, and at first, I thought that's a money thing. Right, but that actually doesn't really make any sense, right? Like when WoW was making the most money it has, it would have ever made. It would have been during the Wrath of the Lich King era, right? Twelve million players, um, all paying the same sub that they would be paying today, right? Obviously, there's extra money coming in to WoW now from other sort of sources, right? With like the token and everything else. But like at the end of the day, we all sort of agree that that WoW's peak was going to be like in 2008 or whatever. And they didn't spring for voice acting and all these quests, yeah. Um, and, and back then, and and to your point, that money was worth more back then, right? Like you know. yeah. Yeah, uh, it's like, been the same you know, fifteen dollars, you know, just you know, despite like in you know normal inflation or whatever, right? Like, but anyway, continue. Um, and uh, and one of the things that I sort of learned, sort of through the grapevine, I just like was talking to people about it, was that the prevalence of voice actors, especially voice actors that you can hire out of their home studio, right, to get to to like record lines for you, is actually really high, right? If you want to get additional voices into your into your title, there are a million. SAG voice actors, right? SAG being Screen Actors Guild, um, who are like willing to come in and put it, and put the hours into it, and it's actually a pretty good gig, right? All things considered, specifically because you're 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 working from home, right? You're you're actually getting a pretty good rate, all th like at the at the end of the day, um, and you're just sort of like working out of the studio in your house. So obviously there are plenty of places, uh, you know. I'm sure when it comes to something like like WoW uh, and bigger characters like Sylvanas or whoever else, you know, like they would take those um, into you know like you, th those folks would kind of come into come into the studio uh, to to record their lines. But yeah, that was a, that was just like a neat little thing that I had. I never heard before, but it actually makes plenty of sense when, when you sort of think about it, right? Like the ease with which it is for uh, uh, the, the, the ease with which a game developer can reach out and go, I want to add a bunch of voice lines, you know, okay, well, sure. Here's, here's what you do. You send the direction. We'll do some auditions, right? Boom. Now, now all of a sudden we have, we have a bunch of extra voice lines on the game and it is a much simpler process to kind of like get that from one end to the, to the other. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, on top of that, I'm sure it's, like, I'm sure video game voice acting has, like, a lot of people that are willing to do it, right? Like, um, 
this is like a supply side problem that, you know, I can tell you from the dev side, right? Like everybody wants to program video games, regardless of how like many shitty hours they make you work. And so you get paid a third, like anywhere to like from like half to a third as much as you would at like a normal software company. And it sucks, but like, you know, that's what happens when everybody wants to do the job that you want to do. So, and that's why I don't yeah, program I, video I, games. Um, yeah, I also definitely think that part of that comes from the... Um, uh, wow, my camera sort of froze up there, huh? Yeah. Well, whatever. Um, part of that also kind of comes from the way that um, that voice acting and like, you know, like... If I'm in the 80s, I don't think that there is a lot of work for voice actors, right? But the explosion in anime and video games um, has made it such that I think those things are like much they are much more common for people to say oh i want to be a voice actor when i grow up you know what i mean because i spent my entire youth watching watching like anime or whatever or watching like pro zd do like short internet videos and then also do voice acting in like borderlands 3 yeah 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 yeah. exactly exactly yeah that makes a lot of sense um but i think since your camera has totally failed we should probably end it uh end it here um and uh but uh buddy you have any or what I'll, I'll do the end and stuff first. If you have anything that you want to tell us about anything we talked about on the show, you can email us at subversifulgames.com or podcast at subversifulgames.com. You can also twitch.tv slash subversifulgames where these go out live. Um, our rate and review us where podcasts are found. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud. Find us in your podcatcher. Um, that's everything I have. Buddy, if you have anything you're looking to promote. Uh, I do, I guess, have something that I'm that I'm looking to promote today for the first time in whatever. Uh, this Thursday at 12:30 p.m. Pacific is going to be the the Mix Publisher Showcase. We've announced that there are going to be uh, six titles in there, five of which you know, uh, one of which is going to be you know the next Akupara reveal, basically. Um, Grime, Cardboard Kings, Dark Side Detective, um, Astrea, and. Prime Carver Kings, Darkseid Detective, Astraea, and Rain World are all featuring in the mix with a bunch of like big announcements. This is actually kind of one of the coolest things I've ever had the opportunity to work on. It's kind of like my own little mix or my own little um uh like E3 showcase, right? You know, like a Nintendo Indie Direct kind of thing. Um, so yeah, please feel free to come hang out and check out my cool shit there. Yeah. So what what time uh and when is that again? Unfortunately, I accidentally. It is twelve. Go on. It is okay. It is twelve thirty p.m. Pacific. Uh, if you want to know in better detail, you can join the Akupara Games Discord. That's discord.gg slash Akupara Games. We're doing a big watch party, and I am also going to be doing a little AMA afterwards just to, like, you know, answer answer any questions that might come up over the course of the, uh, uh, over the course of the showcase. And, sorry, it's 1230, right? 1230. Pacific? Pacific. Okay. Just, you know, want to put that out there for all of our East Coast brethren, like me. Um... <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. With that, I'm going to say uh, uh, thanks for listening, and until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.